my name is Eugene Fernandez. I am the social media coordinator at Digifox, and I this is going to be our third um, space that we've had. The one that we had last week was on hyperinflation. We had a guest speaker, and today we'll be speaking about a subject that has been in the news recently. Um, it's a topic called the metaverse, and the metaverse is um, getting traction these days because Facebook announced that they were changing their name on October 19th to Meta, uh, which was 17 days ago. And then three days ago, um, Microsoft also announced that they would be changing their, or that they would be releasing their own version of the metaverse. So um, it's a super interesting topic. It's something that's, um, that's bringing up really interesting ethical questions and questions about how our relationship with um, the digital word world will be changing, so uh, we thought that it would be a great idea to talk about it. And today, our guest speaker will be Nick. He'll be sharing his thoughts about the metaverse and um, the impact that it'll have, and just long-term outcomes and thoughts and predictions. So, Nick, are you able to to hear me and speak? Yeah, yeah. Can you guys hear me good? Is my connection coming through good? Perfect. Yes, I can hear you really well. So that's perfect. Uh, I guess to get started, uh, do you? How how should we define the metaverse? What do you think it is, and does it already exist? You know, it's interesting because I've known about the the term the metaverse for a while, and and as we'll go throughout the conversation, I'll be completely honest that I'm not as a, as a big of a proponent as some people are about it being right around the corner. But I think the biggest definition we got to get to first before we talk about how great the metaverse may be or how it could be, we need to understand what it is. So. You know, there's a couple different definitions. Uh, Microsoft, for example, uh, similar to Facebook, as you mentioned, Eugene, have, have been focusing on defining it as a digital space inhabited by digital representations of people, places and things. So uh, really tying into what we know as like virtual reality. Um, but outside of that, when you think about it in the terms of what Facebook is proposing, they're talking about whether more in the sense of augmented reality or virtual reality that we're going to be finding and defining a new means of communication outside of what we know of today, which is generally the internet. So, you know, when we're talking right now, uh, we're, we're chatting in a, you know, in a, a voice communication channel. And even though spaces is, is something relatively new, I think that, you know, Clubhouse had pushed, um, the internet provides so many means of communication, but they're generally relatively fixed and they're separated from the feeling that we have when we're in the same room together. You know, if we were all sitting in a room, you could see my my visual expressions. I could maybe draw something. We can do a lot more things and uh, what is kind of defined as the metaverse. So to put it simple, the metaverse is aimed at being a new layer on top of the internet, a new means of being able to interact and communicate and collaborate in ways we've never been able to before, uh, likely through a virtual world or through augmented reality. Awesome. It, I don't know if you've seen the Facebook video, but it looked exactly like that. It looked like um, a scene from Ready Player One, which is the, the famous book and then movie. Um, do, you, do you know what, I, what differences there are between Microsoft's metaverse idea and Facebook's or rather Meta's metaverse? Yeah, I think between the two of them, I can sense that Microsoft, which has had its hand um, in the VR space, uh, equally alongside uh, Facebook, I think they have maybe slightly different ambitions. I think for Facebook, they see a lot more towards the gaming sector. Uh, that's at least what I've been able to pick up as they've been very heavily invested early stage in Oculus. 
and have been putting this emphasis on shared experiences on, on the front end, whereas Microsoft is more of an enterprise company. So whether you think about their plays, like the Surface tablet and any kind of hardware devices, Microsoft really has its revenue sources in software. Um, you know, Facebook's more advertising social, whereas Microsoft is more enterprise. Um, you know, they make a ton of money off Azure. So I think that they want to basically build um, the next way that people are going to be able to collaborate and communicate in the workspace. And they've been doing this with Microsoft Teams and a lot of other software plays. So that's, that's my general take from it. But I would say both of them are, are relatively shared and at the same time relatively abstract because we really don't know what the metaverse is going to look like. But um, I'll, I'll share some of my candid thoughts on it in a little bit. For sure. It definitely seemed like that too, with Microsoft focusing on Microsoft Teams as the, the platform for their metaverse, whereas Facebook, they presented it more as a, um, a place where you can live your life with finance, or sorry, not finance, with fitness op op options that, that help you work out with other people. It lets you go visit places like the top of Mount Everest. It lets you meet with people and play card games with them. Um, and then work is just one part of that. Whereas with Microsoft Teams, it seemed like their focus was basically to improve Zoom and make it 3D. Um, so that that's a really good point for sure. Um, what about Web3? Uh, sorry, did you have more thoughts on that? No, no, no. I, I, I'll leave my, my rambling on Microsoft and Facebook in a bit. But you, you hit the nail on the head, Eugene. I think it's uh, they have slightly different focuses as companies in building what they call, quote unquote, the metaverse. Gotcha. Okay, and, and the, the, the next thing is that, you know, there's Web3, there's a whole bunch of crypto people who um, think that there is an issue with the centralized companies growing bigger and bigger and controlling more of the public space because of the potential of, of um, censorship and, and basically monetization of, of creative uh, products. And then Web3 and crypto and the, and the blockchain allows for people to bypass these old systems and make more money for themselves. Um, do you think that Facebook and Microsoft are starting out with this metaverse and pushing it forward now so that they can capture um, more of the market right now and push out the competition? Yeah, I honestly think, I mean, there's the thing already that Facebook and Microsoft have to do is first make it even clear to investors and shareholders whether or not this is going to be a viable business model because it's it's so abstract and early on it's it's like trying to promote the internet in the early 90s but outside of that i i have no doubt um as we've seen with facebook and look we could debate about facebook or microsoft as companies and stuff but they're they're known for wanting to in a sense either own monopolies or do anything to generate ad revenue in the case of facebook um, and that's, look, overall, uh, look, at the end of the day, you're trying to build a business, you want to build a successful one, um, and you do want to capture market share. I think any product wants to do that or any company. Uh, but the real question at the end of the day is whether or not uh, people would actually go about trusting Facebook um, or Microsoft as well, one of these major trillion-dollar-plus technology companies to define and build what is what they define as the metaverse. And I think, again, as, as you talked about, Eugene, I think that if there is ever going to be a metaverse, it needs to be something that is permissionless, that's open. And I'll talk a little bit about the history as we go throughout it. Um, one of the really interesting elements about where the concept of the metaverse actually came from, like way back in the early days of the Internet. And it's uh, much more focused on terms like decentralization and censorship resistance and freedom of expression. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely a big part that I think Microsoft and Facebook won't exactly perfect. Let's go into that right now, actually. Where does the concept of the metaverse come from? 
Yeah, so I think overall, like, I want to give a very long answer on this because this this will hopefully not only define a bit more about like what the metaverse is, but outside of that as well, like how communications evolved. So if if I can ramble, I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll give a little bit of a spiel about what I, what my thoughts are on the metaverse. You know, going way back in time, you know, like since the earlier days of like human civilization to where we are today, there have been a lot of innovations in the way that we communicate. So originally before any kind of major globalization, uh, before even industrialization, the general way that we would communicate as humans is on a local level. If you and I weren't face to face, right, uh, then we, we probably couldn't communicate. And we didn't understand what was going on in our part of the world or how to collaborate or build things together. Then you also had really the first innovation, which is written language and being able to send letters to one another, maybe over postal services or other forms of transit. And that was really great because it allowed us to communicate and send signals across the world, send information. But at the same time, you come into the restriction, which is that you can't do too much. You can write things, maybe add a photo or a drawing, but that's about it. And then, you know, for moving on to there, we went on towards using the telegraph and that got circumvented by the phone about three decades later and actually saw much more mainstream adoption. These are more home phones, right? The phones you would have in your home, the ones you turn the dial. And it was really great because you could actually call people, you could hear each other's voice. It was much more personal. And what's great is that you didn't have to wait you know, anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks to a couple of months to get uh, a message across the world, right? So the telegraph and phone started to change that dramatically. Then we had outside of that the email and the internet and that was a really big disruptor because we can now send content uh, we wouldn't just be able to send photos or drawings we could send videos uh, we could send audio messages we could send emails uh, in a very speedy delivery replacing the need for email and even in the early days having instant messengers and and uh, phone calling applications before conferencing apps became very big so we started to see more ways to communicate with the advent of the internet um, but this is really like dot-com era, 1990s, early 2000s. Then after that, we had the smartphone. Uh, this was uh, an internet-styled innovation. It's just as equally impactful because it not only scaled what the internet already offered, but it brought about thousands of applications that brought about new means to be able to communicate with one another. So you can think about unique uh, iterations of um, you know communicating like snapchat or what we're using right now like we're using um, you know we're using spaces on twitter which is something relatively new there's all these different means that are still going about creating new ways to communicate but the problem that you run into is that they're all fixed so we're in a space right now and all we see is photos of each other we see that i'm speaking at the moment and that's all you can do in spaces what if you could start to take so much of what makes the internet great and build an experience that's practically on point, if not in some cases better than us collaborating as if we were in the same room. And it doesn't matter where we are, who we are, what we do, we can, this in this case, have a permissionless way to be able to communicate with one another with no censorship, um, with the ability to own digital property like we may own an office space or a certain item or collectible in the real world. These are the kind of things that define the metaverse, a shared experience that is going to go beyond anything we've seen before and compete with going back to square one, which is reality, like the reality we live in. Can we build a better experience than the world that we live in? And to be fair, as you, you mentioned earlier, Eugene, this is a very like 
very important moral question. Like we're really got to think, I mean, I think the technology is inevitable. It's going to come here. Uh, I think it's going to take a lot longer than most people talk about. And I'll dive into that a little bit uh, later on. But generally speaking, I mean, this is coming. So we have to think about who's going to create this metaverse. Is it going to be a shared experience or is it going to be a tech conglomerate like Facebook um, or Microsoft? And I would argue that the good news is no matter if they do garner market share or build a part of the metaverse, it will only be a part of it. Um, I think that even though you can build a great experience, people will copy it, people will duplicate it, and you're going to inevitably come to the system that's most open and most accepting of as many people and as free of expression and accessible for people. So I think that's a really good piece of news there that, you know, there's no there's no trademark over what is, quote unquote, the metaverse, no matter what you want to call it. But just taking a, a quick step back, what I find very interesting about the metaverse and this kind of evolution here is that in all these com these means of communication, these new innovations that we have coming every couple uh, centuries and then every every couple decades, we started to find a lot of new trends. Uh, that adoption, for example, the first one that I find when I look through the history is that adoption for each new means of communication is growing at a faster rate than the one before and reaching a larger audience. So the telegraph, for example, uh, which came 30 years before the phone, really didn't scale out that much. Uh, it was used by a very select few parties, usually people in very wealthy backgrounds, either governments, military, very small levels of adoption. Whereas the home phone, not even cellular devices, just 30 years later, started to see much rapid rates of growth, even being delayed 30 years as a technology and reached a much larger audience and impacted the world in a much bigger way as it went from being a niche kind of commodity in this case or a niche product to becoming a consumer facing product that practically everyone has seen in, in, at some point in their life, right? The second point as well uh, is that each new means of communication is created. Once it's created, we're usually able to express ourselves in more ways than before and at much faster speeds. So again, we take something like um, you know our phone in this case where we can do a call, right? And that's two-way communication with you know, an application like Zoom on the web and with mobile devices, we can call from anywhere in the world. We can call with as many people as we want. We can do a Twitter space just like we're in now. And outside of this, well, maybe we can share files and we can share our screens and we can do so much more than we were able to do before just over a simple phone call. And the third one, and this is the important thing, back to that moral question, is that each new technology of communication becomes a larger part of our lives than the one before. So you go from writing a letter or writing email and then going towards where we are today, even the existing technology, which is mobile phones and the, the internet as we know it, Web2, it's consuming a lot of our lives, whether it's content, whether it's communication, work. Uh, you, you can't basically step away from your job in today's world because, hey, you've got a phone, right? You've got Slack on your phone. You got to be ready at, the, at, at any moment's notice. It used to be at nine to five. When work was done, work was done unless there was an emergency. So it's changed the culture in so many ways because we're so interconnected. So that, that's a little bit of the abstract before that. Um, and, and now we understand overall a little bit about what the metaverse is. Um, you know, to, to the, the next point that I think is really important to talk about is like as a technology, people can kind of get the idea of the metaverse. Okay, it's this abstract world. What does it mean for me? Like I see people talking about it in the crypto space. Should I invest in it? Um, are there projects today that are actually going to build this? Is this going to be around the corner in like a couple months or is this never going to happen? Well, I, I don't I don't feel either of those two positions are, are really rational mindsets. I think doubting that this technology isn't coming 
uh, is, is a bit arrogant, but at the same time, believing that it's going to come overnight and we're going to have our killer application, I think is too far out. Uh, to me, what I would say that I think contextualizes it is that this is the internet in the 90s. Um, I've had too many people to count talking about uh, that, you know, it's right around the corner, it's here. But the, the unfortunate reality, if you look at what really I think is going to make the metaverse so impactful, which is a virtual reality experience, uh, VR hardware headset, like um, headset sales, for example, last year, there's only 6.1 million. And that might sound like a lot, but that's only up from, uh, that's actually the, sorry, that's the estimations for here in 2021. And I think it was back in 2019, we had 5.4 million. So that's not S-curve levels of adoption. It's nice double-digit growth on an annualized basis, but it's not enough to, oh my gosh, next year, we're going to be able to get everyone a VR or AR experience that's just going to change the world. Um, you know, And even I think the estimations when I was looking at, at sources from a while ago from Statista, uh, I think back in, like in, in 2024, they're expecting that there's only going to be 14 million VR headsets sold. So that could change. Right, but general projections, which I would usually say are always generally optimistic, are still showing that we're far away from being able to have a mainstream consumer experience. And I think that VR and the metaverse, more specifically, is going to have to find a really creative means to scale out this experience. Because if it has to do with VR hardware, I don't think it's going to be as easy as scaling out the phone. So again, I think we haven't hit that chasm yet. And that's one thing that might uh, buck the trend from what we've seen where usually new technology communication means usually scale a lot faster than the previous. So that's my, my kind of candid, cynical take. Uh, and I think one thing as well is that you know you have companies like Facebook and Microsoft kind of butting heads now about uh, racing for this technology. And I think that what we saw from both videos is they're very they're very hypothetical, um, you know. So I don't mean to be be negative here, but I think that we're this is a five, ten, if not twenty year journey to getting towards mainstream adoption. And I think we're not going to see our S curve styled event until the next uh, five years or so. Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, one super important question that I think everyone is naturally interested in is how you would be able to make money on the metaverse. Um, I know Mark Zuckerberg spent a lot of time in his webinar on um, Meta's metaverse on um, creators and how important they will be to creating the worlds and the experiences that people will have. Um, but what are some other ways that you think people will be able to make money on the metaverse, like maybe playing games or, or, or collaborating? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you know, honestly, this has been something that's talked about a lot. I think the first one that's important to talk about is is the biggest topic of everything, which is NFTs. So that that's a big topic. That is the metaverse. I think is an umbrella topic, and underneath you have play to earn, you have NFTs. Some of these trends we've seen in crypto. They even, if you go to a website like Coin Market Cap or Coin Gecko, they have their own sections. You know, they're they're becoming well known terms. Um, for NFTs. I think that NFTs will be a way that, that artists and content creators uh, will be able to make money in the long run. And the reason why is I, I've seen this. Uh, you know, I, I, I used to play a lot of like Counter-Strike back in the day. And, and Counter-Strike, which is a, it's a shooting game um, uh, created by Valve, which is one of the largest gaming companies, uh, they have their own collectibles market. They have skins that you can have on your gun or a custom knife collectible or player models. And some of them are limited by rarity in this case. Like there's cer certain ones that are more rare than others and they have more beautiful designs. And they there's a market price that people pay for them. So I do believe that NFTs 
especially in-game or inexperienced items rather than just a, a digital art collection that's on a website. And this is, I think, why people criticize NFTs is you can't experience them like art, right? Until you have an experience where you're really using them for some utility or you can really be in a virtual world and I have a one-of-a-kind painting that I'm, you know, for example, I, I, we have hope in the cause. If I'm showing hope in this case, like, hey, I got this cool new painting uh, that a really cool artist that we like, you know, just recently crafted, right? Until it gets that real, I think NFTs are hard. To, it's hard to see the value in them. But I think that they are going to be an integral part for creatives to be able to make money in the economy. Um, outside of that as well, I think in the metaverse, one thing that people haven't talked about making money, and I'll, I'll dive into play and uh, play to earn in a minute. Uh, one of them is just working right like doing what you're already doing right now you know and you know so many of us are working uh, what would be known as white collar jobs working at a desk all day and it's really weird to think about it but we're we're either helping to reduce um, inefficiencies in the world or building some kind of thing that will allow for more you know uh, for for entertainment industries for um, you know it's like that's gaming media like Netflix but also as well uh, things that help us to communicate help us to be more productive help things in the real world get from point A to point B. Uh, so many industries that fit into the white collar category that will be done in the metaverse. And I think that's what Microsoft is shooting for. Uh, whether they'll achieve that or not, uh, I don't know. Um, and then the third one would be play to earn. Uh, for play to earn, I think the uh, really interesting thing here is we've started to see some decent games coming out. We've seen Axie Infinity get major traction in countries like the Philippines. And there's new games like Alluvium and a couple other ones that are reaching close to, I think, that AAA status. But whether or not play to earn will substantiate long term, that's a bigger question. Uh, because of the way that it works, uh, you, you basically play to earn only really, in my mind, substantiates itself long term if more players are coming into the game. I think that's a big limitation. So, um, yeah, until the metaverse really envelops our lives, I think that uh, play to earn will, um, will be more of a short term fad in this cycle, to be fair. All right. We, will, we shall see whether it is or not. Um... Okay, uh, where do you think the metaverse could go wrong? Do you think that someone, for example, is it possible to steal someone's identity? Um, what if, how, how would we protect against that? Uh, just general thoughts on where this could go wrong. You know, that's an interesting question, Gene. I, I don't know if I have a, a, an absolutely clear answer on it, but the one thing I would say is that we, we've already kind of seen this in crypto, for, for example, if, if we are gonna have this kind of decentralized permissionless world, uh, you can go out and buy like uh, Ethereum name service domains or unstoppable domains, uh, these kind of these crypto, um, these, these blockchain based domain um, entities that you can own. I think the biggest problem with that is that you could buy, for example, one that says Nicholas Merton or Data Dash, right? So there's, there's a lot of problems we need to work out. And that means, and it's again why I think that no matter what the solution may be, it's going to be a couple years out. And I think we need to do it in that decentralized way, but there also needs to be some kind of governance or checks and balances because a completely un unregulated system, um, if, you, if an identity is going to be a part of that, then that's a, that's a major limitation. So I think that the anonymity of it as well is, is kind of the fun part as well. Like you can just kind of be who you want to be in the metaverse. I think we saw that in the Facebook um, demo video. And again, still like 10, 20 years out for something like this to happen. But you know, in, in current VR experiences, you can have your own player model and you get to meet people. And uh, it doesn't really matter who you are in the real world, right? If you're talking about just shared experiences and gaming, um, but for workplace collaboration and stuff, yeah, there's got to be there's got to be some solutions. And I think uh, there will be closed solutions that can verify if I'm, you know, let's say we're working at Digifox in a shared metaverse space. 
I would have a way, some kind of software solution that probably is more centralized that would verify Eugene is who Eugene is and Nick is who Nick is. So um, I think that it's it's not a big issue, but uh, in the worlds where it's not an issue, I think that people are going to be more anonymous anyways. Gotcha. Before we go to the, the question Q&A period, I just wanted to ask if you had any other thoughts that you wanted to share about uh, the metaverse. Yeah, and I've rambled on enough, so I would love to hear from everyone. But in simple, the one thing again, I want to approach this and ask guys, as I know we're very much in the crypto space, and there's so much buzz around, you know, every new topic, and everyone really almost feels the sense of FOMO. I almost felt to myself with NFTs and and the play to earn space. And all the while, these are really interesting technologies and, and trends that you should not be, I'll say this, you shouldn't take the Paul Krugman approach and say that uh, it's going to be as irrelevant as the fax machine, like he said on the internet in the 90s, uh, or I think the early 2000s. Um, you know, we want to keep a positive mindset that this technology is going to be here. It's going to come at some point, and maybe it's going to come in, in some small fashion in the near future. But I have a feeling that we're far away if we're really talking about that S-curve style event um, you know, for growth, similar to the internet in 2008 to 2012, where you know, Web 2 really got defined and a lot of these websites started to really reach network effect. I think that we're a ways away from that. I think that's going to be something we're going to see in 2030 and beyond. But in the meantime, VR and augmented reality and whatever you want to define as the metaverse, as it's still a relatively abstract concept, uh, it, it's definitely going to be something that people are buzzing about, and there might be an opportunity to invest short-term into the, the kind of hype and the noise around it, in my opinion. So that's something I've considered myself. I'm not completely shying away from getting some investment exposure, but I haven't made any big uh, investments as of yet. If, if my actions speak louder than anything, then that'll be it for, uh, for my end for now. Gotcha. Thank you very much, Nick. Um, I'll go into question period now, uh, and I'll ask Mark if he has any questions first. But just for everyone else, if you would like to ask one of us a question or share your thoughts, just request um, permission to speak. I will give you permission. Um, Just keep your microphone muted until I ask for your name whether it be Scrooge or Blockchain or Neri or Gabriel. And then once you have heard me ask, say your name, then then you can unmute yourself and ask the question. Um, all right. Well, Mark, did you have any thoughts or questions for Nick? I think that, I think that was great. Um, I'll make this quick as my uh, battery uh, got quite drained. Uh, Twitter does that for some reason. Um, but I think uh, I think what Nick said about um, kind of like the we're very early on and that like we're still ways away from seeing the sort of like S-curve development with metaverse like we're the i think that was spot on um if, if you're like if, if you love games um as much as as much as we do um you'll kind of have a, a feel for that uh you'll you'll, you'll see like you'll have your you have your finger on the pulse of that kind of news um but yeah we, people who are people who are uh into 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 whether you're into you know investing short term investing long term um, or you, you, you know, you like to see like what, what the hottest thing out there is. Um, it's always like a really, really, really good idea to do your research. So whether you're trying to see if, you know, some consumer, uh, level, uh, product is, is available or you just, or you'd like to see if there's a, a you know, a new, as- a new asset class out there, I'll always do your research. I wanted to say one quick thing to your point, Mark, that's, that's true as like a fellow like gamer, I hate to, <laughs> hate to call myself a fellow gamer, but like, 
I, I got to say the one thing that hits me is it's like we haven't seen that. I think really, even there's some really great games like Alluvium coming out, and they look fun. And Axie Infinity can be a lot of fun. I, we haven't seen that AAA title. And I think that is like from, coming from that outward perspective of the, from the original gaming sector, usually if you can have some good perspective to it and it's like, man, I, I don't know. I don't, we haven't seen it yet. I don't think we've seen that like that kind of S-curve game that's going to get everyone sucked. And like, as you mentioned, Eugene, like Ready Player One, like that's what I think the ideal metaverse is. And maybe it's not the first iteration, but um, I think we got to get a little bit closer to that to, to be able to see this really take off. Gotcha. Uh, before I ask Francis if he has any thoughts or questions, everyone else who's listening, please feel free to request um, permission to speak and, and ask any questions you have, because this space is just as much for you as it is for us. Um, you know, we're all here to learn together, so feel free to ask. Uh, Francis, did you have any thoughts or, or questions about the metaverse? Uh, yeah, thank you, Eugene. Um, hope you guys can hear me okay. I'm on Cape Cod, so sometimes that's a spotty cell phone reception. One thought that came into my head was kind of this concept of virtual land. I know CNBC did a, uh, a rendering on that or a story on that a couple months ago. Uh, for example, um, platforms such as Earth 2, and it, has, of course, has a lot of competitors now. And obviously, that's part of the metaverse, too. I just wondered what people's thoughts might be on that, because, of course, it has its critics. Some people say it's pyramid schemes and all that stuff so i just this whole notion of uh, you know the the, the e economics and so forth around virtual land as part of the metaverse i didn't know what what the thoughts might be on that yeah i could definitely speak on because i've I followed decentraland and a couple other projects that that have that concept like initial an ilo initial land offering and they have like the fixed like squares of land that you combine within that you can basically build whatever you want uh, I know also Somnium Space is another like VR um, based project that has really nice like developer tools so you can actually build really cool worlds and, and everything. So there's there's been a lot of progress. I think the most important thing, it, this is something that I've learned actually outside of the metaverse space, but more in the crypto sector, is that no matter if you're talking about companies, protocols, or like a shared experience in something like the metaverse, it's always about community and like be, basically being the place where people want to be. So let's think about it like at a company, right? If you want to go work at companies, not just maybe because of salary is that, but because they want to have a really great time and be building something they're proud of. Um, same goes with building on Ethereum, right? Ethereum, there's a lot of other layer one protocols they're aiming to challenge Ethereum or quote unquote be Ethereum killers. But to be honest, Ethereum has such a massive network effect. There's so much applications built on top of it. Now some of them are catching up, but it's uh, really, again, the reason that Ethereum stood out so much and is still the second largest crypto besides Bitcoin is because of its community and the people who have been with it since the beginning, as well as the new people who are coming. And I think that um, with IDEO, like, I, I'm sorry, initial land offerings or like any kind of land in virtual worlds, it's only going to be as valuable as the world uh, around it and the community that's building with inside it. So if you can have a, a world that, you know, is, is kept up by people, the experience inside that world is fun. Um, you know, similar to how, like, you know, in real life, you have uh, maybe there's a lot of land across the world, but New York City property is going to be a lot more valuable than uh, in the middle of nowhere, maybe in a state like Wyoming or uh, North Dakota, because of the sheer fact that, you know, you don't have, you have a lot more space, a lot less people, and a lot less going on in those regions versus New York City, where you're limited on space, and a lot of people want to live there. So I, that's my, my take. I think a lot of it, as you mentioned, Francis, it, I wouldn't call it a pyramid scheme or anything, but it's, 
it's speculative early on. And, and the question is whether or not Decentraland is going to have the community or Somnium and all these other providers. Will they have enough to, to maintain that community? Yeah, 100%. I remember Worlds back in the 90s, and that kind of failed because of the community. It kind of went up and went back down, so 100% on that. <laughs> right, yeah. No, exactly. We, we've seen some, like, iterations, and this is the, the cool thing, is that, that, that term, the metaverse, guys, is very important to understand. The consoverses has really been around since the 90s. It was a it was a cipher, like just like how the internet was very much cypherpunks. It was, and also as well, the internet had its dark side, had, you know, drugs and all that stuff. Similar how crypto had the same thing, right? You find that those uh, groups of people find things fairly on, but the cypherpunks were very big believers in this idea of a censorship resistant, like open space for us to communicate and collaborate. And uh, yeah, as Francis mentioned, there's been a lot of, um, you know, virtual experiences where people communicate and interact uh, that have already been trialed before. So it'll be interesting to see if, if maybe crypto can break that barrier and bring it to the mainstream. Perfect. We have, we're going to end this in uh, 13, 12, 13 minutes at 3.30, uh, 3.15 Eastern time. So now's your chance to ask questions. I, we've actually got uh, two people, HP Supreme Crypto, who will go first, and then Ari Shah. Uh, HP Supreme Crypto, you have the floor. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm just going to say big fan, uh, Nicholas, always watching uh, Data Dash and um, great supporter. I just have like a two-part question. So I agree with everything you're saying on the metaverse. I just wanted to know um, maybe in the future, will there be maybe you'll make like an episode where one could start accumulating certain projects in the bear market? Like what projects? Because I, I really see that now that since Meta Metaverse is such a big thing, you have all these projects that like are doing it. Some are not. Some are this. So sometimes you get like a little confusion. But I know that you know you you when you do a deep dive, you kind of break it down or more so where which projects kind of to focus on. So that was just more so of something that um I was asking, will you be doing stuff like that down the line on your show? Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but no, thank you so much for the kind compliments. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I would say this in the um in the sense of doing like a video, I definitely do plan to talk about the metaverse more and do like a really deep dive on the channel. The one thing I would say though, like if if um you know you you have the right mindset, I think that like really making the long term bets, you want to wait until like the bear market comes uh, down. But if you're looking to just trade or speculate now, that's fine as well. I would say have a short term time preference from getting in and also getting out. Uh, the idea, though, is that when once the bear market comes around, things have cooled down and a lot of the noise gets filtered out. You can make much clearer decisions because you can see, hey, who's actually building right now? Like who, who's kind of left the scene and who's building? Right. And I would say that one of the, the simplest ways to get exposure, there's just two key things I would I would not per se recommend because I can't go financial advice. But what I'm considering doing personally, uh, one of them is looking at indexes. So there's an index now called it's created by Index Co-op. It's a DeFi protocol. It makes really nice uh, indexes to get exposure to various projects. And they have one called MVI, the Metaverse Index. And it gives you exposure to the vast majority of like the really established ones, plays like Alluvium, Axie, uh, also Sandbox and Decentraland. So a lot of like play to earn Metaverse um, plays that will give you that exposure to the, the quote unquote Metaverse in crypto. So that's one thing I, I've thought about. And outside of that as well, the other one I've looked at is, you know, even though, again, it's not my ideal scenario, having some exposure to Facebook or Microsoft, I think that those are, are good plays or smaller or mid-sized companies that are in those sectors. And I have no doubt we'll see ETFs spring up similar to how we've seen for pretty much any sector. Uh, we'll see that for um, 
for uh, the metaverse as well, even for some smaller companies outside of just the larger players. Perfect. Thank you so much for the question, HP Supreme Crypto. Uh, next, we'll go on to Ari, and then after that, Charmini. Once again, we're going to be ending this in nine minutes, so now's your chance to request a question or forever hold your peace until next week and our next topic. Um, Ari, you have the floor. Hey, thank you so much for hosting. And uh, HP, thanks for being in this room. I was able to hop in. Um, so I've been in crypto since 2015 and now seeing Facebook go to Meta blows my mind. It kind of reminds me of Ready Player One, the movie. And the way I see it is Facebook's market cap is at $915 billion. So it's it's second to Bitcoin and almost double that of Ethereum's. But then like we come to these these metaverses and meta worlds. So Decentraland at a $4 billion valuation, Sandbox at like a $2.8 billion valuation. I view it as, you know, you'll go into this meta world, um, be able to select your avatar and then be able to choose between channels or worlds. And those worlds could be Decentraland, Sandbox, OVR, Meta Hero, um, all are good examples, Star Atlas, so on and so forth. Um, but kind of similar to like how the dot com dot dot com bubble occurred, we still got eBay, Amazon, all these juggernauts that came out. Um, I believe a lot of projects, you know, in the NFT space came in, and now that they're scaling, the projects that are going to stay are going to uh, be the ones that one always bring continuous uh, value, like ha getting airdrops for holding something every month. That to me is so like priceless and disrupts how businesses are being run. But now that there are so many projects and it does feel like it's getting saturated, but we are just entering the metaverse. Uh, my question is to you guys, what do you think a project should do to, to integrate themselves into the meta world? For example, me and my team, we're dropping an NFT collection called Wall Street Wolves. 10,000 unique NFTs. And for us, we're integrating crypto voxels and sandbox to be able to do digital meetups, metaverse meetups, in-person meetups. But that's something I wanted to ask you guys. Well, what are you guys looking for? How do you envision this uh, playing out? Because I view it as Ready Player One. And I believe utility is really, really going to start kicking in at, as we scale. And it's crazy to see with all the first layer protocols really, uh, really coming to the forefront. Like Solana this year has been absolutely insane, taking out Cardano and Polkadot. Ari, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we only have six minutes left. I'm going to uh, stop you there and let Nick respond to that. Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah, but uh, all right, it's a good question. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think I have uh, per se. I, I definitely wouldn't know the solution to bring it to the mainstream stuff. But to your point, which is more about like how do companies integrate, um, I think it's a matter of, of wherever a company can benefit. I think the first one is going to be like the real, like I think actual first level of adoption. Yeah, I think similar to Zoom and a lot of other technologies since the pandemic is it's going to be through the workplace. So companies investing in solutions for remote work as more people are, you know, a lot of companies try to press uh, people to basically say, OK, now that this day we're all coming back and the employees are like, nope, like <laughs> I want to do like a mixed hybrid work remote scenario completely remote. And we at Digifox, we're entirely remote. Uh, we've been like that since before. And so I can see the pace and necessity to adopt towards more. Pressure.
Did you, did you guys hear no, me? You just cut out for a second there. Hey team, can can everyone yep. hear me good? Oh, sounds like you're. Hey, can you all hear me good? It sounds like you're still cutting out. I can hear you, but then I, I don't know if Nick can hear us. So. Hey, can you guys hear me now? Yeah. Okay, there we go. I lost my connection for a minute. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, so to put it simple, I think it's going to be in the the workplace where things are going to pick off first. Uh, I think that that's going to be like the co working um, and virtual spaces, and then after that, you're going to start uh, having people investing. Once you can have realistic work realistic, I think from there you'll really start to expand out further. So. Perfect. Um, it looks like we only have four minutes left. We'll try and fit in two, but. Uh... You may not. Sharmi, you have the floor. Thank you. Hey, Sharmi. Hey, Nick. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about these concepts of decentralization and permissionlessness coming into the metaverse and how you're thinking about nation states and borders as they evolve in like a 20 to 30 to 50 year horizon. Oh man, that's a that's a high level question. Like thinking about it on a nation state <laughs> and restrictions around it. That's, that's honestly a good question. I haven't even really put much thought into like the nation state level. I think um just purely like on the idea of like permission versus most systems, you know, I think it'll be a lot like the the internet, uh, in the way that there was first like permission systems. That's like why, you know, Facebook and Microsoft are looking at it. And all the while, I actually think some of them, unlike the internet, where like closed off systems can really like stink, you know, like no one wants to be, no one wanted to be in the internet, right? That's why it never scaled. I think that there will be closed off environments or things that have, are part of intellectual property from Microsoft, et cetera. But with, I got to say with open source and the sheer freedom that can come in a permissionless system, I think especially like out of all innovations we've seen, you know, Linux, uh, having the kind of dominance it has in today's world. Um, I think that you're going to see with the, the advent of crypto and NFTs and being able to have things in an open uh, open way, I don't think it's going to be entirely closed source. So long as there's a means for content creators to monetize and a means for everyone to express themselves freely. For, for governments, though, I, I think this is um, really, at the end of the day, I, I'm not one to even speak bad about regulators, and I understand the importance of government in a lot of capacity, but... To be fair, uh, this is going to be a very challenging technology. Crypto is already pushing the boundaries and, and, and regulators are, are struggling to keep up with it. I, I can't even imagine what permissionless you know, virtual experiences are going to be uh, unless they plan to shut off the Internet, which uh, I don't think they want to do. <laughs> so what, what's your thoughts, Shereen? Do you have any thoughts on it? I do. Um, I'm really interested in like what's going on in America and the fact that there is, you know, actual conversations about endowment. I don't think it's going to be in this iteration, but I'm excited about it because I think this is underlying technology that addresses the whole human system. So yeah, you know, we need to nerd out again soon, Nick. <laughs> Absolutely, Shrina. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And overall, I know what you're doing at Mysterium and stuff as well is, is very important towards that and being able to have permissionless communication. So no, honestly, great question. I, I'd definitely love to hear more of your thoughts on it for sure. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, Nick, do you have five more minutes? Yeah, yeah, no. no it's Perfect. No okay, so then profits over wages. You have the floor. Thank you. And I was actually kind of asking something similar to Char Charmini, um, if I said it correctly. As a 
you know, crypto enthusiasts since 2015. I think the number one thing any of us can agree with, no matter if you started yesterday, a year ago, or five years ago, but DeFi is the is the main reason why we are attracted to it. So it's a company like Microsoft or Facebook. How did I mean? I know this is probably like a, a pretty big question for you, Nick. So don't feel too much pressure. But like, how does a company like Microsoft or Facebook come into this space and still keep it decentralized? Um, because I think that's the like Charmini said. This is a really big test of you know humans as a whole and and all these laws and everything like that. So. I don't know if you've thought about it. Maybe it's, it's a major, obviously it's a major conversation, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, man, that's honestly, it's a wonderful question because that's the reason why I love DeFi because the rate of innovation, you know, outset stepping out of the metaverse, and I think DeFi will play a role if the metaverse does exist. Um, DeFi, what's so amazing about it is that, yeah, you can talk about, oh, DeFi can be regulated, this and that. But the incredible thing is that anyone can spring up a smart contract and whether or not it's it's a lot you're allowed to use it or not so long as i can run a browser extension on my computer or have some kind of ethereum wallet i can interact with any protocol and this is a big reason why at, at digifox like we love the idea of DeFi and being able to make it easy for consumers because what's so great is that if you don't like digifox the experience you give you can you can go out and use another wallet you can send your funds or plug in your private key elsewhere and you know, take this uh, this Web three identity that you have and go plug it in anywhere you want. And it, it, there's no like an, an open an open source community, one that's uh, permissionless and allows anyone to interact with it without borders. That changes the game big time, and it adds a, such a high degree of utility. You know, I think with um, one example I can think about in DeFi is like even just being able to have like a stable coin payment rail over layer two, right? Being able to do that and send money across borders. You know, even though it's stepping out of the uh, stored value asset proposition of Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin, I mean, just being able to get dollars uh, across the world is a, is a phenomenal application of DeFi. So I think that shows that you're going to have incredibly difficult times for companies to keep up with DeFi, let alone the metaverse. I think that, you know, Facebook at the end of the day will either, they're not going to be, the one problem people have is they, they claim that Facebook sells data, right? They don't actually go and say, hey, this is Nick's data here. But what they really do is they service fitting advertisements. And I think that due to Microsoft and Facebook being these, these trillion dollar plus companies, they have expenses, they have their bottom line, and it's either going to be a mixture of ads, you know, like, you know, that's the monetization model, and there's not some other kind of stream. There's no way they're going to keep up with a centralized, uh, open community platform, I think, in the long run, even if NFTs or play to earn don't work out. Um, you know, you, you'll be able to build similar systems. There's, there's no way to really have, I think, IP over this technology. And yeah, that's, that's the really cool thing to, to your point. And I'm not trying to be too cynical. I think Facebook and Microsoft are not to be messed with. They're, they're titans. You know, they've got a lot of resources and some of the best minds in the world in, in regards to engineering. But I think that uh, ironically enough, it's going to work out in the end for a much more decentralized system. Maybe, maybe I'm being a bit abstract on it. I, I'd love to be critical on myself on, on that point, but I have a feeling that with this technology, things will actually work out for the better. And I think it's why companies are, you just don't see two companies, one of them changing their name and another one as speaking about the same broad early stage concept. If they're not in a state of going, oh my gosh, we need to like innovate fast and, and get some stake in this market. So 
um, yeah, I, I think they're they're shaking their boots a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure, definitely are, definitely are. All right, cool. Thank you for that yeah. feedback. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. No, great question. Thanks, Thanks for the question. Profits over wages. Leo Patel, you had requested the uh, to ask a question, but then you dropped that. So I'm going to move on to the next person. Sorry for that. Um, Joshua, you have the floor. Hey, DigiFolks. Hey, Nicholas. Thanks for bringing me up, guys. Um, This is my first space with you guys. But yeah, um, I joined a bit later, so I don't know if this question was already addressed. But um, so when it comes to the metaverse, I am a very huge advocate of potentially building an open decentralized metaverse. And I mean, it's, it's at the stage where we can only predict models, you know, theorize how it would potentially look like. But there's one aspect that I'm sort of sure of, and I would love to get your opinion on it, that over the next five to 10 years, we're going to have an inflow or demand of creators advice specifically for building the metaverse. Like, I mean, even if it's a centralized institution like Facebook, who's going to be building the metaverse, they would need hundreds of thousands of, and, um, so I wanted to ask your opinion on where you see this moving as in the flow of the market is um, in terms of offering opportunities for creators, whether it's a centralized platform or a decentralized space itself, which would offer opportunities for people to come on and build the metaverse together, whether it's visual effects, where, whether it's infrastructure, um, music, art. I see this being an exploding industry. And I, I would love to get your opinion on where you see this potentially headed, you know, more towards the centralized side or the decentralized side. Um, but yeah, I, and also just to sort of emphasize when I mean decentralized side, I'm specifically re referring to the largest advocates of blockchain in the blockchain space on Twitter, um, Punk6529 and um, a bunch of other people. He and his, they're, they're focused heavily on promoting an open decentralized metaverse. And, and eventually the goal is to have, well, even if it's a centralized institution, to build on an open decentralized space. So yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think Joshua, it's a great question. And yeah, thanks for joining the space. I was going to say, it might not be answering the question exactly, but I think what you're, what's really going to be a big investment opportunity is not only investing in these metaverses, but the tools that are going to be able to, to streamline creating content for this world. So I'm going to give like one big shout out. I actually, I don't have any uh, Somnium, for example, but they're one of the VR uh, metaverse plays in the crypto space. And Somnium space, one of the things that they did phenomenally well is they gave an actual, I guess you could call it a standard development carrier SDK, but an actual engine um, or tool to be able to add within the the uh, Somnium space game engine. So you can build your worlds right there, um, your NFTs in real time. Uh, you can you know, manipulate the terrain and build buildings uh, with like pre-built components, customize things. I think that you're going to need these kind of tools and it, it will allow for two things. One, it will allow for people who just want to play in the metaverse or, or spend time there to be able to do some things on their own. But really, as you mentioned, Josh, it's going to give creatives when this S-curve event does happen, to give such a way for you know previously artists who I, I would say probably in today's world uh, don't have the the easiest route to make a living and really like thrive on their their passion to really go all be able to uh, to have. So I, I know it probably doesn't answer it, but uh, as you mentioned, whether decentralized or centralized, either way, like whether it's Facebook and Microsoft or it's a decentralized system, there's got to be some monetization means. And it's going to heavily benefit creators. I think NFTs have already kind of proven that. Um, although I have my skepticism of the NFT space to some degree and, and some critiques of it, overall, I mean, I, I think it's here to stay. Um, and it, it will become more established in the long run.
So perfect. Thank you so much, Joshua, for your time. We have time just for one more question from HBIT. You have the floor. Oh, uh, hi, Nicholas. Uh, big fan. Been watching uh, Data Dash for a yeah, long time. Uh, my question is about the sort of uh, layer that will link all the uh, different players in the metaverse together. Um, Obviously, we've got uh, Decentraland and um, OpenSeas uh, and all the other uh, players. So where do you think the platform to link all of those uh, together will be? Will that become from the sort of Ethereum blockchain? Will it be built on that because of most of those um, uh, platforms are already ERC-20 tokens? You know, that's a great question, Ishbit. I'll say this right now, and, and maybe maybe I shouldn't uh, for my own benefit, but I was going to say that whoever builds the uh, MetaMask for the Metaverse, and who knows, maybe it's a MetaMask in this case or another provider, but whoever I think builds that technology to integrate those worlds and be the central home for your digital assets, that's that's a easily a, a multi-billion dollar idea in that case. I, I think that's what I'd want to invest in is the platforms that that start to uh, together because you get on an interesting point, H, but that I think we also talked about a bit earlier, which is like the metaverse isn't one place. So Facebook, you know, could build something that really does get S curve style adoption. A lot of people use, but it's like how there's no one platform for media or games or any specific title that everyone has to play. And there's so many experiences that can be built. So I think, uh, you know, even though again, um, uh, you know, about whether or not if there's any tools today, I can't name a project that's at that point that's kind of taking more of a passive top-down approach about merging those worlds together. But that's going to be a very, very valuable company and or, you know, project, whatever whatever structure it takes. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And if, if the metaverse, I think once we get more shared experiences, that people actually are spending, you know, an hour or more of their day, and possibly many hours, then that's when you're going to start to see those solutions that'll merge it together. Uh, who knows? Maybe that's maybe that's what Facebook or a larger company has in mind. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to see more about their their business proposal. But good question. Thank you so much, Hrich, for your question, and thanks for everyone else who asked questions. I'm sorry if we weren't able to get to yours, uh, but we'll be doing these once a week on Friday afternoon, two thirty Eastern time. So if you didn't get a chance to ask a question today, we will definitely do that. Next time, the, the faster you ask for, for uh, permission, the easier it'll be for us to answer it. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, if you'd like to learn more about Digifox, we're doing a whole thing on getting paid in crypto. So you can sign up for our waitlist by downloading the app. Um, and Hope, did you want to say something? Yeah, if there's any questions that you guys had that you weren't able to get answered, um, if you want to shoot us a message in Intercom or in our in-app support system, I can pass those on to Eugene and uh, we could try to make some YouTube videos about those um, as well. So uh, you can either reach out to us in-app in the support chat or online at digifox.finance. And then again, if you have any, obviously any questions about the app or get paid in crypto, uh, that is where you would go to ask us as well. We have a super awesome client success team who's happy to chat with you um, anytime, usually, uh, even on the weekends, a lot of the time, even though that's not our business hours, because we have awesome team. So um, feel free to reach out and we're happy to chat with you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hope. And thanks, Nick, uh, once again, for your time. And thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks.